a small group campaign called Life Together, uh, where, man, we're going through the second half of Ephesians. And uh, so last week we, we dove into Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through 12. And, and in this, we began looking at the idea that unity uh, as a body, unity as a body uh, is a sign of our maturity as God's people. So I'm going to say that again, uh, because we're diving in. You're like trying to get yourself mentally focused, right? Our unity, our unity together as a body, it is the sign to everyone of our maturity as God's people. So our maturity is, 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 is expressed in the way that we're living in unity, right? The idea that we're caring for one another, the way that we're fighting for one another, the way that we're sacrificing and serving one another, that is the sign of spiritual maturity. So if you want to know what is spirit, like what does spiritual maturity look like in my life? Paul begins, and he's going to talk about it again this morning, but this idea of us being less focused on self and more focused on being a part of the body, expressing a servanthood and sacrifice and the love for one another. So as we dive in this morning, what I want us to recognize in this season is that Paul ultimately is challenging the church to think more about the church. Just to sum it up, Paul is challenging the church to think more about the church, more about the body of Christ, more about the people together, the gathering of those who they're in community with, thinking about the family of God. He's saying, I want you to begin thinking more about the family of God, the people of God, the church, God's called chosen people who have been anointed, who've been empowered to fulfill the great commission on the earth, the people together. He says, I want this. I want you to recognize that maturity, maturity, right? Maturity of, of the body is defined by the way that you're living sacrificially for one another. And so when we dive into this whole conversation that we're diving into really for the next several weeks leading all the way up really to Thanksgiving, what I want you to hear me say is that Paul is less talking about like your personal spiritual life in a sense of like wanting to make you better, focusing on you. He's not focusing on self-help, right? He's not focusing on self-help, coming to church so I can get my needs met and feel better about myself. That's not his goal. His goal is to help you stop thinking about yourself so much and to start thinking about the body of Christ as a whole, the church as a whole, and the call that we have together to build the church, the body, the people of God. If you don't like church, you don't like the idea of church and what church has meant historically, just think, just think the people of God. Think about people together. We talked last week about being like we are individual bricks and we are like building a wall and a brick by itself. By itself is not really that powerful. A, a, a rock from the Great Wall of China is just a rock. When you pull it out from the Great Wall of China, you put it back into the Great Wall of China. It becomes one of the seven wonders of the world. And so as we dive in again to this idea of Ephesians and this heart of Paul, I want you to recognize it's not about coming for self-help. It's about helping others. That's really it. The heartbeat of Paul is about how you have been called 
to help others. We said last week there are three foundations. If you weren't here, I'm just going to name them. Number one, we're going to dive in and understand the second half of Ephesians. Number one, you have to recognize you can't have chapter four through six without chapters one through three. Chapters one through three is all about the Holy Spirit empowering people because God saved us by grace, not your works, to empower you to do more than you could ever dream or imagine, we're told in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. So the first foundation is you have to remember the Holy Spirit is in you and upon you to empower you in your salvation to be the church. Then the second thing is verse one is it says it says the idea of coming in says the idea of doing the idea of doing says to live a life worthy. That's foundation number two. It is the transition verse. You can't have, like, it's literally the door you open to walk into the second half. So you've been empowered, Paul says, but you have to live a life worthy. It's the picture of a balance scale. God has done his responsibility. Now we're going to equal that by you've been empowered to do your responsibility. And all the whole second half of chapter uh, four, five and six is the things that Paul is calling you now to do that you've been empowered to do. He's saying you've been empowered, but you need to do. And there's going to be a long list of things to do and to not to do, the things to to engage and things to refrain from. And so that's it. Like you've been empowered. We can't forget that you can't do anything in your own strength of value. So you've been empowered, but you've been empowered to do things. Now you have to do them. And we said the third part was now pursue the spirit of unity. This idea that it's not about you, self-help, but it's about the body of Christ. It's about the church. It's about your responsibility in the context of the church to be the church and to build the church. Again, empowered by God's spirit. So, look, that's where we are. So we're going to dive in this morning. First, starting in verse 13, go to verse 16. This is our focus for this morning and then for this week in your small groups. says, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Right? So we're living a life until we all reach unity in the faith, until we reach unity in the knowledge of the Son of God, and we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, at that point... We will, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We want to move, Paul's talking about, we want to move from infancy to maturity. We want to move from self-help, self-absorption, right, to maturity, recognizing we can't have mature infants. We must grow into who God wants us to be as individuals so that we can grow into who God wants us to be as a body. So this morning, we're going to watch a video clip. It's about a minute and 54 seconds long. It's from the movie Boss Baby, right? Because this this shows the lunacy of a mature infant. So I want you to follow along and watch this with me. My name is Tim. I had the greatest parents ever. Rise and shine. Take your kid to work day. Really? It was just the three of us, the Templetons. <laughs> 
Life was perfect until that one fateful day. Tim, look who's here. Meet your new baby Like a little man. He carries a briefcase. Does no one else think that's, oh, I don't know, a little freaky? Well, you carried Lamb Lamb around until you were like. This is not about Lamb Lamb. Trust me, one day you are going to love him with all of your heart. Never. It might be on to me. Get the baby! Ah, poop duty! Ah! I've got to deal with the KID. You can talk! Uh, goo goo gaga. No, you can really talk. Fine. I can talk. Now let's see if you can listen. Get me a double espresso and see if there's some place around here with decent sushi I'd kill for a spicy tuna roll right about now. Get yourself a little something. It's your brain. Let's just say I'm the boss. Just wait till Mom and Dad find out about this. Power nap, uh, you were saying. All right. Now, the whole idea. Have you guys seen that movie? It's actually really funny. You should watch it. Because here's the deal. I mean, the great thing about this movie is it just doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, anytime you put a baby in a tux carrying a brief, briefcase with the voice of Alec Baldwin, I mean, that's just funny stuff, right? But the idea is just really simple. You watch that and you go, that's crazy. Because there's no such thing as a baby in a, in a, in a suit carrying a briefcase and talking like Alec Baldwin. Does that make any sense? So the idea, again, in this is of having mature infants, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. And so it's important to recognize that the goal of Jesus, the goal of Jesus for us is to grow us and to make us mature. So starting at verse 14, it's important to recognize Paul's use of the word infant to describe when we are spiritually born. We are not, listen, each of us and none of us are born in the mature adulthood. Instead, we, all, we are all born as spiritual infants. That's why this is lunacy. We're all born as infants to think that we can grow, that we can all of a sudden be born and be spiritually mature immediately. Doesn't make sense. Yes, we are filled with God's spirit. However, we are immature. We're immature and our lives are marked by the potential of outstanding growth. And I think that's the part I want you to see. We are born as spiritual infants. Paul is naming this idea of infancy and our lives are marked by the potential of outstanding growth. And what we could say then is that there is an expectation then of outstanding growth. You've read Hebrews so talks about the ideas like you should be eating spiritual meat, but instead you're still on spiritual milk. You should be eating meat. And the idea is he's like naming this, or this group of people who, who literally have not attained this outstanding potential that defines their life. And there's a level of tension or a level of frustration and, and definitely a level of unmet expectation. 
Our lives are marked by outstanding growth, and we begin this idea with spiritual infancy, but growth is necessary. We want to talk about this growth. We want to recognize that, that although part of our maturity occurs through our personal relationship with Jesus, these verses teach about our spiritual maturity happening through intentional relationships as the body of Christ, as we invest into each other's lives. The idea that, yes, your personal relationship with Jesus is vital to your growth, but so is your part as a rock in the wall of the body of Christ in each of you doing your part. So, when thinking of maturity, we usually think about it in light of an individual, right? An individual's personal maturity. We think about it in the context of our children. We want them to mature and to grow. Although this is part of maturity, that is not the primary objective of Paul's teaching. Right here, Paul is speaking about the maturity of the body of Christ as a whole. So, when we talk this morning, yes, I want you to think about my own individual maturity, but I also want you to think primarily about What does it mean for us to be mature? Like, do you give much time and energy to thinking about our maturity as the body of Christ together? We must be as invested into the maturity of the body as we are our own personal maturity. The idea is clear. The more isolated and individualistic we are, the less mature that we will be as a body. So... Number one key, the first key, the key to our growth is recognizing our need for one another. God's plan is clear. He uses other people to grow us, meaning we must commit ourselves to the relationship of the body of Christ. I want you to think about yourself for a second. How much, how much of who you are today, how much of who you are today is because of somebody else's investment into your life? Think about how you talk and think and what you believe. How much of that was simply shaped because of the house that you lived in? How many of you are Christians primarily because you grew up in a Christian home because you never knew anything other than? How many of you are Republican or Democrat primarily because you grew up in a Republican or Democratic home, right? How many of you have these convictions and beliefs primarily simply because of the people that you were influenced by? Your grandparents, aunts and uncles, whoever was most influential in your life, they they shaped so much of who you are. Listen, my girls yesterday cheered at the top of their lungs and would not leave the Georgia game. Why? Because I raised them to be God-fearing Georgia fans, right? Like they're Georgia fans because of me, not because they love Georgia Bulldogs, right? They're because of me. Think about the context of of those, the coaches or the teachers, maybe the bosses that you had, the friends that you were, that you've had over your life who have formed who you are, what you think. There is no way to attain the fullness of Christ in our lives apart from Jesus moving in the context of the relationships that he has placed us in. Yes, it's ultimately Jesus who grows us, but it is Jesus through other people. Simply stated, we need one another for our spiritual growth. So, Look back at verses 13 through 14 and read them again. We all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. We become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, 
then at that point, we'll no longer be infants. We've grown, right? We have taken that step of growth as, as we're growing in unity. This idea of unity, the body of Christ working together, that's the sign of, of growing from infanthood, right, to adulthood. Tossed back and forth. So we'll no longer be infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching by the cunning and craftiness of people and the deceitful scheming. Our unity, this is point number two, our unity as a body leads to our maturity, which moves us from infancy to spiritual adulthood. Our unity, working as a body, it leads us to our maturity, which moves us from infancy to spiritual adulthood. Apart from unity, we will never be able to attain spiritual maturity. Apart from the pursuit, right, of the body of Christ, each of us doing our part, we're going to look at later, investing, expressing the gifts of God's Spirit He's placed within us. Like we talked about last week, each of us doing our part. Only, listen, maturity happens as we embrace and engage these pieces. And, and each person must recognize, in the context of these relationships, their dual role. Their dual role, learning from others and expressing gifts towards others. There's no, listen, the idea of being that, that stone, that brick we talked about last week is that a brick is on top of other bricks. That rock is on top of other bricks. We have to learn, right? We have to, to receive. But then there are rocks on top of us. The idea that we are then investing into and engaging others with the gifts that God has given us, right? And so this idea of learning and expressing each requires a specific humility. And one, you must be willing to submit to learning from others and growing as you are, verse 12, being equipped. We're being equipped, verse 12. We have a humility of learning and listening. And the second, you must be willing to lovingly and humbly come alongside someone who's in the process of growing, who's in the process of maturing as you express your gifts in doing the equipping. There's this idea of humility, of, of receiving and of giving. Simply stated, we leave infancy by growing. That's what it says here. We leave infancy by growing. And this happens by giving ourselves effectively and intentionally in relationship to God and to relationship to others. So therefore, I stole this uh, from Tim Keller. He said, two truths we must embrace at the outset of pursuing unity are these. Number one, don't be shocked by the immaturity of others. And two, don't dare put up with spiritual immaturity in yourself. Don't be shocked by the immaturity of others. You get around people all day long. Oh my gosh, you're so immature. Duh! You just want like, ah, that's all you want to do. You can't even put words. You're like, ah, what's going on? And you find this tension. You find this frustration, right? You're like trying to build this wall and a person keeps on hopping off the wall. Like, don't you understand what I'm trying to do for you? My gosh, you're so annoying and so frustrated. Ha! And then what do we do? We write the person off because it's just too much work. Praise God, Jesus never wrote you off. Right? Walk the extra mile. Just turn the other cheek. That's the nature of this. It's about how we're building. To be honest with you, you know what discipleship looks like? A believer walking the extra mile and turn the other cheek for an unbeliever as we disciple them to what Christians look like. Discipleship does not begin the moment someone gives their life to Jesus. It begins long before as they are learning about him, being shaped into understanding who Christ is. 
How do they do that? Because someone is not shocked by the immaturity of people that they're around and they expect it. But then, number two, by not daring to put up, by putting up with their own spiritual immaturity, saying, well, that's just who I am. You have to deal with it. No, I'm going to invest myself into growth. I'm not going to be okay just drinking spiritual milk. I'm going to give myself to maturity and to growing, sacrificially giving, serving, loving, growing in Christ-likeness. And so unity is this. We're not shocked by the immaturity of others, and we don't dare put up a spiritual maturity in ourselves. So as we build, as we're building, verse 16 tells us, Jesus is the foundation, and he's the source of our growth. Not your hard work, not the books that you read. Jesus is the foundation. He is the source of any growth that occurs. Verse 16, it says, from him. Who? Jesus. So I'm going to put Jesus in the word him, because I want you confused, okay? From Jesus, the whole body. Everybody say whole. It means everything. All of the body, everything in the church, anything of value in the body of Christ, from Jesus, the whole body, all of us, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Jesus is the source. He is the foundation, right? It's the language that Jesus is divine. And any, and we are the branches. Branches are connected here. He is the source. We have no source in and of ourselves. He is the source. He is the foundation of every, every bit of growth. Everything that happens is good. It comes from him. But as we're growing, we have to do a work. We have a responsibility. We have to say, all right, we've been empowered. We've been infused with the vine as our foundation. We're building this rock up here upon rock upon rock. And so we're now going to do our part. But Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the source. That's why it's imperative in the context of our investing into others that we are individually with Jesus. Engaging Jesus. You have nothing to give apart from Jesus. So why try? And why not give the best of your energies connecting to the vine and abiding in him, the scripture says, living, engaging and receiving from him. Why? So that then I can take everything that's been given to me from the source and just give it away. From him, the whole body joined and held together grows and builds itself up as each part does its work. So with these thoughts in mind, let's move to Paul's action step for maturity in verse 15. He says, all right, so instead, speaking the truth in love, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So instead, instead of... In verse 14, right, it says, Then we'll no longer be infants, blown here and there by every wind and teaching, but instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And then verse 16, because he's our source, right? He's our source. And so what we find in this, here in verse 15, it speaks, and hear this, it speaks to the ethic, the ethic that must define the body of Christ if we're truly going to grow, it defines our ethic. An ethic is a set of moral principles. They define conduct 
towards other people. So this idea, this verse speaks to this ethic, this viewpoint, this moral principle, this moral compass that defines our conduct towards others. This verse sets the principle now of how we relate to other people. It sets the principle of how we are the rock for other people. It sets the principle of how we now rest upon other rocks. It is the principle that defines, honestly, a spiritual maturity that allows us, right, to love well and to do relationship with unity. This is the action. This is the to-do that Paul gives here, saying, all right, here's what you're called to do then. Here are your actions. You've been, you are on the foundation, chapters 1 through 3. The Holy Spirit has come upon you because of salvation, so you've been empowered. Now you are abiding in the vine, right? You're on the foundation of Jesus, right? He is the source of everything. Now here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. Instead, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, then we will grow and become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. The three key words in this verse that are to define our ethic, our actions, our principle in the context of relationship that produces unity in the body. Three words, truth, love, and growth. Truth, love, and growth. Truth. Truth primarily speaks to the nature of following through on the relationships that are established in the body. Even if it's hard. The idea of honesty saying, I am willing, because we're in relationship, this is a necessary step that I have to be taking in the context of, the, of my relationships, right? It means that we speak honestly. Truth means we speak honestly when our flesh just wants to avoid the difficult conversations. It means confronting issues rather than avoiding issues. It means telling a person they hurt us rather than pretending they didn't. Honesty. It's not hard in a sense of understanding. You know what honesty is and you know what dishonesty is. You know when you are being forthcoming with someone and when you're holding on to something. Honesty keeps us from dying from the inside out, doesn't it? Uh, someone very hurts me, and so I'm saying, rather than to be honest, I'm going to pretend like he doesn't, didn't, right? And so I'm like, I'm just going just to grin and bear it. And what happens three months later? He does the same things, and then I blow up on him. He's like, why are you blowing up on me? It's because, why? You were festering on the inside because relationship was not important enough for you to be honest. Honesty is a biblical principle. We have to speak the truth and seek the truth. We have to be honest. Someone hurts or someone is failing. Man, blessed are those who are, con- who are speaking over people so they will not fall into sin. I love you too much to let you fall into that ditch. I'm willing to ask you the hard questions, knowing you may be frustrated with me, but I'm willing to suffer rejection for a minute to save you from hell for eternity. I'm willing to be honest, willing to speak the truth. But here's the point. Honesty, listen, honesty in relationships is the kingdom principle. However, it must be linked to love because truth without love is harsh. It's painful. However, love without truth is kind of like a lie, isn't it? So that's why we have to marry it. The second part, love, love. 
Love in relationship is all about humility, right? And preferring others above oneself. It's about sacrifice. It's about servanthood. Therefore, anything we speak in honesty, anything we start speaking truthfully, well, it will have if it's grounded in love, it will have its source in commitment and affection towards the person that we are talking to. Love will lead us to speak honestly with grace. Hear this. This is where it gets really practical. And I want I want to figure out, like I want you to be honest with yourself. Do you live aware of how every word that you say impacts other people? Do you live with the weight of your words? Or you just feel the freedom to say whatever you want to say whenever you want to say it? Because every word that comes from your mouth, James says, tame the tongue. Tells us to tame the tongue. Why does it tell us to tame the tongue? Because it kills people. And so in this moment, love recognizes the person that we're speaking with. It recognizes their fear. It recognizes their worries. It recognizes their status, their state in life. And it seasons their words in a way that may be forward, yet inviting. The marriage of these two is like gas and oil in an engine. If we just have one, it's detrimental to the engine. But combined, they cause an engine to function properly. Jesus was the perfect mixture. There are many stories of Jesus' honesty and then his love combined together. You have Jesus with the woman at the well. You draw some water for me, sure. Draw, you call your husband. I'm not married. Yes, yeah, it's just true. But in the one you're with is not in the other three. I perceive that you're a prophet, right? And Jesus does such a loving correction of honesty that she is willing to follow him, run back to her town, and tell everybody to come and to meet him. Listen, have you ever called people with excitement to come meet someone who's mean to you? I don't. I say, run. Run. What does that mean then? Well, obviously, he was being honest with such a substantial love that he, she wanted to follow him, and she became the first evangelist ever. We find it in the way that he rebukes Peter on multiple occasions, right? He's really honest with him. Get behind me, Satan. Ouch. That's a little hardcore, Jesus. But he still follows him because it's expressed in the context. I experienced this just, I don't know, six months ago with my girls. My girls came to me one day and said, Dad, we love you. We really, really do. I'm like, this is awkward. Where are we going with this? But it's time for you to stop wearing medium shirts, Dad, because your belly's too big. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I was like, what? Are you kidding me? I was like, I look so good in medium shirts. I'm like, mm-mm. I look, at, I look at Randall, she goes, like this, right? I said, I don't, I don't look right. Like, no, Dad, it's like, it's just not good. It's just not good. So now I literally have to go buy all new shirts. I now have Lord's shirts, okay? No, it's like, honestly, listen, it was just the truth and love. It was honesty grounded, and I know that recognize their love and affection for me, and they don't want me to be embarrassed, and they don't want to be embarrassed by me. Let's be honest, right? But that's it. Because it was because I recognize their own. Listen, 
Because I recognize their undeniable love and affection for me, they can say almost anything to me. That's why the the great commandment is to love your neighbor, not to be honest with your neighbor. The great commandment is to love your neighbor. Why? Because when when someone knows with everything inside of them that you love them, honesty is not that hard. So we have a marriage of truth and love, recognizing Jesus. And like, what does it look like? I, I live by this in my own life as best I can. Matthew twelve twenty says, "A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out." Like you keep that image. Just you understand that, right? A bruised reed. It's like, oh God, I can barely stand. Right? A smoldering. It's almost going out. It's almost going out. Right? We gotta bring it back. It's like that's people. That's people. People in the church, it's people in the business world, it's people everywhere that you go. Listen, 90% of people wrestle with severe rejection. They just do. It's 90% of people, 9 out of 10 people that you meet this week suffer with major rejection. And if they don't know that you love them, you can't be honest with them. So let's have the oil and the gasoline together. Let's have love and then, and then honesty. But make sure you marry them, right? Which then leads to the third part. It's just real obvious. It says grow, right? It says grow. I'll just read that verse again. It says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow. We will grow. I love that, right? The result of this is growth in the body. It's growth of the individual, but it's growth in the body. Growth is facilitated by each of us embracing the mixture of truth and love. As we live it, we grow the body and in turn grow in maturity. As we live in truth and love encountered in Christ and express these qualities, we become more closely attached to Christ and more like him. Growing in Christ speaks to becoming more like him, conforming to his character, conforming to his will. Again, as we individually, as we grow in, into, the, into the lives, right, we grow and invest into the lives of each other, as we give ourselves away, we grow as one body with Jesus as our head and as our Lord. In this, what God's speaking to this morning is leaving boss baby behind, thinking that we can be mature infants. That is crazy. And we leave infancy by growing. We grow, according to Paul, by investing into our relationships Growing with one another as Christ is our source, always standing on Christ, always staying connected to him, always leaning into Jesus, but doing our part, doing our work by learning to be honest with one another, grounded in this undeniable affection and love that we're sharing. The question to ask this morning, how do people define you? Like they define you as loving like, I'll never forget, this, this wrecked Randall and I. We were at a, like, y'all know Randall? Like, Randall, man, she's a go-getter. Achievers are number one. Significance, she wants to make a difference is number two in strength miners. And then competition's number three. Right? And she, like, and she has harmony in her top five. Why? Because she just loves people. And so this guy was prophetically praying over her one day. He said, I just see a picture. I see a picture of a sword. I see a, see a picture of you with your hand behind your back. And you have your hand on a sword. It's hidden from view from some people. But, man, it's a sword. 
And, she, and he said, no, I'm praising God. What is that sword? And God said, it is love. And we just sat there and we're like, that's what drives my wife. And everything that she does for you and for vintage and for me and kids, is she loves people and wants them to be exactly who God wants them to be. And I sat there and I'm going, that is it. She's not defined by achiever. She's not defined by her significance. She's not defined by competition. She's defined by love for everyone that she's around. That's why every listen, that's why every night she gets 10 to 15 texts from people who just lean on her because they look to her for support. Every night. That's awesome. What defines you? How do people describe you? How do they define you? How would you define yourself? It requires a level of self-awareness of actually us being honest with ourselves about where we are, what we're expressing. And begin to be honest. How many bruised reeds have you broken in your lifetime? How many smoldering wicks have you put out? And God's saying, man, the idea here this week is I want you to focus as vintage on being a body. Engaging, speaking truth and love so you can grow and stop being infants who whine all the time. And all they can do is focus on themselves and like, come take care of me. Does that define anybody that you know? Jesus is saying, leave it by loving and speaking honestly as you grow and in giving yourself away. Let's pray. Father, we bless you this morning. We thank you, Jesus. I just thank you, Jesus, that we don't always have to stay infants. I thank you that God, there's this process of sanctification. Big Bible word. It simply means the process of growing into Christ's likeness. You've given us that journey that we're on. And we say yes and amen to it, Jesus. And we just say, Lord, this morning, would you awaken us from self-help to others' help? From just self-awareness to others' awareness. That you would shift us from demanding people respect and love us, God, to demanding ourselves that we love and express as Christ as we love and as we respect as Christ loved and respected Jesus we pause and we thank you for chapters 1 through 3 we thank you that you saved us by grace not by any works that we could do to empower us with your spirit we just, we, we, we focus on that. We thank you for it. God, we lean into it. We just say, pour that reality over and over and over us all day long. We're empowered. We have your spirit. You love us. You are for us. You're not against us. So we can be a support. We can give ourselves away confidently knowing that your grace, your power, your spirit is flowing through us. We always have something to give. And God, then give us a heart of conviction for for going after the body, making it our primary focus. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. This morning in our, our, our response time, so ministry teams, you guys can go ahead and come forward as I'm talking.
Now, we'll have ministry teams available here in a second. They're just going to want to love on and pray for you. Whatever's going on in your life, whether it's disconnected from this, they want to come alongside and love and speak into your life, okay, to help you grow. And so if you have anything you want prayer for this morning, I'd love to pray for you. We have offering baskets available every week. This is simply so that we can worship God through the tithes and offerings. This is the, what he's given us, and so we give back to him. And the communion's available every Sunday. Again, remembering body, Jesus' body and broken and blood poured out and recognizing it's alive and active today. And so you respond to the Lord, please. What I want to say is that we have been wounded by other people. Many of a lot of us, and it keeps us from growing, is we feel like by nature we isolate ourselves because of the risk of being hurt again. Or we just think too highly of ourselves and we just think we can do life by ourselves. And this one I invite you this morning to let God begin to do a work in those areas, to bring some healing, begin to get some context, begin to get some clarity, what it means to be a part of the body, and specifically what it means for you to be a part of the body, one of those rocks that are built upon. You respond as the Lord leads. It's 1022 this morning, so I'm officially done. And so you are released to go as the Lord leads you. Don't forget, ladies, to bring your favorite thing on Tuesday night. And I uh, hope you enjoy your small group uh, this week.